It's a great day to be alive, to go live. Sometimes you got to say to yourself, it's a great day to be alive, to go live. So as this video comes up live, please share it on your various pages. And I just want to welcome everybody to an impromptu podcast slash live video session with the Metro Praise International Pastoral Staff. Now, our church is built upon the, the leadership of elders and deacons. And in the elders and deacons' offices, we believe in the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we like to look at ourselves as primarily first as elders, and then secondarily as our gifts. So primarily, we are elders, and then what we do is we pastor, we apostle, we are sent out, we evangelize, we speak on behalf of God as a prophetic voice, we teach, we do the work of the ministry, in other words, as according to Ephesians chapter 5, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what you're getting right now is a taste of our staff meetings. Weekly, we meet on Zoom between 9 and 10 p.m. It's just the time that works out the best for everybody's schedule. We've done it a whole bunch of different ways over the years. Sometimes it used to be in person, like at my house or at the church. But now it's done primarily online, and it gives everybody an opportunity to be at home with their family, and the church functions that way. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do today was kind of pause our staff meeting and bring them on with me to do an impromptu live cast so that everyone could hear kind of the things that we care about as pastors. Well, one of the things that we care about is how the gospel comes out and teaches people to deny themselves and follow Jesus Come and die that they might live, die to the flesh, live to the glory of God in the spirit. And by doing that, heaven is a reward and we're avoiding hell. So we're plundering hell and populating heaven. And one of the things that we just want to emphasize is how much we want people to go to heaven. That's what pastors should do. Elders should be leading people to Jesus, to heaven, so that they can have that beautiful relationship with God, that humanity and divinity can be intertwined through Jesus Christ, that we can have sonship with the Father, that we are adopted, that we have a place in the kingdom, we are king's kids, all of these wonderful things. Well, one of the things that kind of naturally comes out of being pastors is you have to warn people about sin and the consequences of sin. Well, in our discussions about suicide and these different things that happened last week, I started noticing that a lot of Christians don't seem to have a real sense of what hell is. What is hell like? Did the Bible really talk about people going there? And is it a place that many people are going, or is it a place where only a few are going? Well, let me just discuss it with you quickly through the Bible, and then I want my staff or the staff of NPI to share on it, okay? So let me just set the stage quickly by giving off scriptures that I think just kind of talk about it plain and simple. 
Okay. Well, first, when we go to John 3.16, we see in the heart of John 3.16, in the love passage there, there's also a part about perishing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so right here, we notice that by default, the world is perishing. And if you believe in Jesus, you're saved from perishing. And then you can go on and it says right here at the end, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So the idea is that the world is already condemned because of Adam's sin. And then when we come to our age of accountability, we sin on our own as young people and we choose a path of sin. And we deserve punishment. So believing in Christ delivers us from that punishment. And then it goes on in John 3, 19 to say, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So Jesus talks about there's always going to be the sense where more people want darkness to remain in what they've already been given in their fallen nature because of Adam and Eve than to receive light and to change and to repent. Jesus reiterated this when he talked about the wide and the narrow gate. Some of you know this, but it just doesn't seem like a lot of people get it. So that's why I want to read some of these scriptures and then we'll have a little pastoral chat about it. Okay, so be patient if you know these. Enter through the narrow gate, Matthew 7, 13, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So even Jesus is talking here, and he's saying the gate to destruction is wide. Many enter through it, and the narrow gate is by definition small, and only a few find it. Let's keep going on. When we look at Jesus telling parables, Jesus is real quick to say how somebody, and this is where we get to the one safe, always safe thing, but I don't really want to park here for a long time because I've done a prior video on this, but you notice that like in Jesus's parables, they're servants. They are people that are employed by the master. Like they're in good standing with the master. They have been given gold by the master. They say these bags of gold or talents at that time could have been worth about a million apiece. So 10 bags, 10 million, one bag, 1 million. And the guy who has the one bag, he buries it. Well, notice how quickly things change for this person. It says, Take the bag of gold from him, that lazy servant that didn't do anything with it, right? Give it to the one who has 10 bags. So, like, there's no socialism here. We're not, divi we're not dividing up the 10 bags of the guy who was obedient. Uh, Jesus is not feeling sorry for people on Judgment Day. We're saved by grace through faith. Remember that. But later on in Ephesians 2.8, it goes to 2.10. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared in advance for us to do. So, as James says... You, you say you have faith, I will show you my faith by my works. Faith with works is the biblical kind of faith. So this person was at good standing with their master, but then they don't do the right thing. So they get their bag taken from them. There's not like godless pity here. They get their bag taken to them, taken from them, given to the one with 10. And now he says this, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And then throw that worthless servant outside. 
I mean, this was once a guy that was getting a million dollars, okay? He was entrusted with a lot, and now it's like he's getting cast outside into darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, once again, that doesn't mean you can just lose your salvation by any old sin, but you can come in by belief and uh, through unbelief come out. And that's exactly what it says in Romans chapter 11 that the, the, the Gentiles come in by faith right now as the Jewish people are coming out by unbelief, but if the Jewish people believe, they can come back in. But if we unbelieve, we'll go out. Watch it. Romans eleven nineteen. Branches were broken off, talking about the Israelite people, that you could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. Now, how does sin affect our belief? The more you sin, according to Hebrews 3, the more you harden your heart towards unbelief. So no, it's not just one sin that takes us away from God and sends us to hell, but a continual sin. Hebrews 1026 says, if we willfully continue in sin, after having received the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice for sins, because we're now in a place of unbelief. So they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. You see the, the dichotomy? Unbelief, faith. I'm saved by faith. I come out by unbelief. But now it says, do not be arrogant, but tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And then he says, and if they do not spare, uh, pers persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, because God is able to graft them in again, right? So... We have this idea that we're not saved by these works, but like we're supposed to have good works. And then in John 15, it clearly says that you can be in the vine. You can be a branch in the vine. But then if you begin to come out of the branch, you stop ab ab abiding in the vine rather as a branch, you will be cut off. Just look at it right here. I am the vine. You are the branches. He's literally talking to his disciples. He says, if you remain in me, I and you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Okay. So look at how serious this gets. Just like the one with the servant, like he's a servant, he gets a million dollars worth of talents, but he messes up and has a heart of unbelief. He's thrown out into weeping, into darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then here we see the same exact thing in, in uh, John chapter 15, we're in, but we don't remain in. Now we get cast out with the garbage and set on fire. And that's basically what hell was. Um, that's, well, that's what they were looking at in that day was a place called Gehenna, a place of burning of garbage, of dead bodies. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. And he's saying, that's where you'll go and the fire will never stop. Just a few more scriptures and then we'll talk to the staff right here. The Bible even gets so clear about hell that it even mentions people going there. Now, this is what may be considered by some a parable, but it's not a parable within a parable. Some people think that this couldn't actually be a place where people go, that Jesus was just using this to teach a lesson. That's what Jehovah Witnesses would say, who don't believe in a literal hell. Jesus never told parables within parables, okay? When Jesus told the story about the Good Samaritan, there was places called Samaria. There was this road that they could walk on, and then he tells this actual story uh, that could happen there. Now, did that story happen in actual history? No, it's a parable with actual events and actual types of places that describe a life lesson, right? Now, 
Maybe there wasn't exactly this story happening with Lazarus and a rich man and so forth, but is there a place called Abraham's bosom? Was there a place called that? Was there a place called hell? Was there a place called torment? Was there a way that maybe these people could communicate? Yes, because otherwise what you're saying is Jesus breaks his pattern of parable telling, and instead of using actual places like, you know, like the man on the road to, um, uh, Jared, where was the, the, the Samaritan going? He was going to where? To Jericho. That's what I was going to say, but I wasn't sure. Thank you. On the road to Jericho. So there's really a road to Jericho. You're, you're, if you think this is a parable within the parable, you're literally saying Jesus for the first time ever in all of his teaching goes. And let me tell you a story about Middle Earth and a guy named Frodo. Literally, that would be like so foreign to these people and a myth. But no, he's actually describing something. And look at what he says here. It says that the rich man in Hades, where he was in torment, looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out to him. He said, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water. Cool my tongue because, and this should put the fear of God in all of us, because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, was Jesus telling a parable within a parable, or is there actually a place where people are in agony having conversations? I'm not saying it had to actually be a guy named Lazarus and a rich man, just like it doesn't have to be a good Samaritan and, 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 a, and a certain priest or whatever in the story of the good Samaritan. It just has to be a road to Jericho with Samaritans. It actually existed for it to make sense. This would make no sense unless there's a real place called Hades that somebody was in saying, I'm in a lot of agony. I think you get my point there. Just a few more. In Matthew 22, when Jesus is telling the story about the wedding banquet, and that's what we're waiting for. Remember, Jesus started his first miracle at a wedding, and his last miracle is going to be the wedding feast of the Lamb and coming to marry the bride and all of these wonderful things, the consummation of the ages. And the first uh, you know, real command to be fruitful and multiply is the last thing that will be fruitful and multiply with Christ as the church in his glory, not necessarily having more, more children or anything like that, but like being in his presence, the restored garden of Eden. It's all about the marriage, right? So here's a parable of the marriage and, and it's guests coming, but they're not ready. And he says, the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, the one who wasn't ready for this wedding, throw him outside into the darkness. Now notice how it goes from just like, you could be in a wedding scenario where this would happen, but he, then he goes further than just being kicked out. Like he goes super spiritual with you right here. He's like, throw him outside. Well, people have been thrown outside of bars before, right? But now watch, throw him into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the language of hell, right? Now watch this. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Isn't that beautiful? All of us are invited, but few are chosen. How do you get chosen? By preparing yourself for the wedding. Do you do it by good works? No, faith prepares prepares you for the wedding. All of us are invited to be married to Christ, to rule and reign with him upon the earth, but only those that are chosen to do it are those who accept the call in this parable who prepare themselves for a wedding. Just a few more. Uh, Jesus said, which in Matthew 25, which you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And notice that the duration of the punishment is as long as the life. So there is no annihilation of the wicked as, as conscious and as long as we are celebrating eternal life is as long and as, as conscious the, the sinful will be in eternal punishment. 
I have so many more scriptures to share with you, but just let me go through them quickly. Jesus, I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish. Jesus used that language all the time. In the epistles, they use Sodom and Gomorrah as an example, the Bible says, for those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So the temporary fire of Sodom and Gomorrah represents an eternal fire. Uh, then we get into Revelation 21.8. I've read this before. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, section of moral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, all the liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, the second death. We see in Galatians that if you live a continual life of sin, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And what's the opposite of the kingdom of God? It's the wrath of God. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's where all those things are listed there. Uh, Paul even said, we must all appear, this is 2 Corinthians 5.10, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's why we can't use as Christians our body as an excuse to sin and Definitely can't say the devil made us do it because we're going to help be held responsible for what we did in the body. And then look at how Paul says this. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are is plain to God. And I hope it's plain to your conscience as well. And then the Bible says, even when he was preaching to the pagans, Paul in Acts 17 on Mars Hill, he said in verse 31, for he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, talking about Jesus, and then Revelation, or excuse me, rather the Old Testament, given the prophecy of the New Testament times, what we're still waiting for. The book of Revelation quotes Daniel more than any other book, by the way. So Daniel's looking forward to the time that Revelation talks about. Revelation 12, 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will wake, awake, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting contempt, those who are wise, look at this beautiful promise, will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, I know I just went on a preaching thon there. I know I did. But I just want to say this. It seems like as if nobody believes people are going to hell. That's just what it seems like. Jared, do you get that, that kind of way of feeling when you listen to people on Facebook, like, like this person's not going to hell. This person's not going. It's almost like in their mind, there's really nobody going to hell except maybe Hitler and a few other wicked people. Just a few thoughts from our pastoral staff for the next uh, 10, 15 minutes. Go ahead, Jerry. Absolutely. Uh, when we were talking about the pastor who'd committed suicide uh, and we had our talk last week, you were bringing up the fact that many people were preaching him into heaven, that many, you know, men and women of God would stand up in and declare he is in the arms of Jesus right now. And re they really don't have the authority to say that based on scripture and then based on the, the evidence of the unbelieving act that he committed leading to his own death. And we do that when the rubber meets the road, so many well-meaning Christians do it every single time. You know, they'll say, I, I know he's in a better place now. I know they're in a better place now when it actually comes down to someone they know who's died. Maybe in a, in a room like this where we're all like-minded, they would more freely say, yes, I believe in hell. Yes, I believe people without Jesus are going there. But when it actually comes down to it, 
everyone's getting in somehow. It's like people are, are saying that they believe in judgment, but practically speaking, they're, they're universalists. Another thing that um, we should consider is that folks who um, deny the existence of hell uh, often associate hell, judgment, wrath uh, with the God of the Old Testament. And they place themselves on the side of Jesus. They say the God of the Old Testament took a chill pill and Jesus came and it's all grace. And you'll find that this, this is kind of the red letter only camp. Well, a pastor has shared some uh, scriptures uh, from Jesus' own mouth. I'd like to share a few more. Uh, As you prepare those, let me just welcome those who are watching us. Sorry, I forgot to do this at the beginning. Gigi, Brian Phillips, Janice, hey, what's up, guys? Jerry and the others, Nathaniel, those watching us, Lascelles. We love you guys. And, yeah, it's an honor to bring you into this meeting because we care about people. If we saw you about ready to get hit by a train, would I want to tell you about my favorite food or my activity of the day? No, I would tell you the train is coming. And we as a church, we don't focus on hell a lot, but I notice in comparison to other ministries, it seems like we talk about it all the time. Well, that's because probably in every one of our messages or studies or things, it's going to come up because it's in every passage almost of Jesus. It's in almost every uh, parable he's telling. And as Jared's about ready to read, it's just not big old meanie Old Testament God, it's loving Jesus as well. And before you read those scriptures, tell them what universalism means, because you said something really good. And Lauren, would you quote Jared on this? We, many of us believe in hell doctrinally, but are universalists in practice. How did you say that, Jared? I want Lauren to share that, because that was powerful. Well, yeah, um, I'll, 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 give the, I'll give the full explanation, and hopefully we can condense it. Um, in a room like this, among believers, many uh, of what we would call evangelical or conservative Christians will freely say, yes, we believe in hell. We believe that some people are going to hell. And what makes a difference is those who basically believe in Jesus or not. Yet, when someone they know dies or someone they know of, like we just had Burt, Burt Reynolds pass away today at 82, and you're going to have some Christians say, you know, he's in the arms of Jesus now. Or when their dad passes away, he's in the arms of Jesus. When their cousin passes away, people who are known to be unbelievers, uh, people who are known to live, you know, sinful lives in defiance to God. But now they're in the arms of Jesus. Uh, when there's really no scripture to back it up, that person showed no evidence of conversion. So what happens is. Yes, doctrinally speaking, many Christians uh, believe in hell and eternal judgment, but practically speaking, they're universalists. A universalist is simply someone who believes that universally everyone is going to heaven eventually. It takes on different forms and whatnot. One of the popular ones I hear, and I think this is what Rob Bell taught. This is the apostate pastor. He wrote a book called Love Wins, and, and that, that basically signaled his departure from historic Christianity, and he taught universalism. He taught that everyone will eventually go to heaven, even people who um, never believed in Jesus in this life, 
uh, people who lived sinful lives, they would get to heaven. Jesus might save somebody even though they never called on him because he knew they had a good heart. Or they would even go so far as to say that somehow in the afterlife, almost like a purgatory of sorts, everyone gets a purgatory uh, where they're going to have a chance in the afterlife to get it right with God. God's going to keep giving them chances. But Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed man to die once and, and then the judgment. So this life is the chance we have. And within this life, we have numerous uh, chances to know and serve Jesus. But I, I want to get to uh, Mark 9, 42 to 50, because Pastor Joe, you said something interesting. If if we were on train tracks and there was it was coming right for us, it wouldn't be the time for chit chat. It wouldn't it wouldn't be a, deny, a time to deny there's an existence of a train. Oh, don't you worry about that train. That train loves all. That train forgives all. Don't worry about that train coming for us. We wouldn't be saying that. That we'd be saying, look out for the train, in very strong words to let people know we're serious. And Mark nine forty two to fifty, Jesus uses very similar language, very urgent, burning language. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And the NIV has a verse uh, missing there. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire where the worm, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. So Jesus is using some of the strongest language there to say, whatever you can possibly do to avoid hell, do it. If it means maiming yourself, and obviously this is a, a hyperbole, he's not being literal, but he's saying, whatever it takes, whatever you must cut off, whatever compromise in your life could lead you to sin, could lead you to stray from God and bring you to hell, it's not worth it. And by the way, Here's a question. If there's anyone who denies the existence of hell, I would just pose the question, well, why did Jesus go to the cross? Was it to save us from eternal damnation or was it to, I, I mean, if, if we could be saved another way, uh, even after the grave, why was the cross necessary? You know, what do we make of that? You That's know, so good. If we could be saved another way, why did he have to go to the cross and place the urgency in the life that we're in? That's so good. Just briefly, I know a few of them got to get running here. Let's go to Griselda. One of our campus pastors does most of our counseling with her and her awesome husband. Griselda, do you see, and you have one of our best life groups at the church as well, sometimes upwards of 30 plus people in your home. Do you see that in this generation, people kind of push out the idea of hell and only focus on the idea of heaven because they want to make a God in their own image. And they see this God almost as a, an idol, like, because I know you deal with people a lot 
do you feel like a lot of times you're kind of reintroducing them to the real Jesus, even though they might have known of Jesus at a prior time or heard of a certain way about Jesus? Hey, so yeah, you were cutting off a little bit, but yes, do people want to make it a different Jesus? It was my internet, not yours. Um, yes, I feel like in our generation, we want to take the Bible, we want to pick and choose what makes us feel good, what's going to add, uh, what's going to benefit our life. And the scriptures that speak on hell, speak on judgment, um, we don't want to really deal with those things. And we, I think that we have a generation right now that it's all about what feels good. And then if anything is going to come and, and um, judge somebody, it's like, that's not that's not really what Jesus meant. And because of that, it, it, we're just, it's so dangerous because um, so many Christians want to be part-time Christians, but then they're living a whole other life and they're compromising in sin. And just like you mentioned earlier, sin is so destructive and it comes in and it hardens our hearts. And before you know it, you're loving Jesus, but because you're compromising in sin, you begin to drift away from the truth uh, of Christ. And so, um, yeah, to answer your question, the answer is yes. I do see a lot of our people in our generation doing that. Amen. Let me catch Adam before he has to go here. And uh, if you guys have any questions, let us know. Got to see Ben Coburn here. Alvin, hey, what's up, guys? We love you. Just, you know, joining in our end of our staff meeting here, just talking about the urgency to warn people about hell. Now, Adam, we don't know at the end, in the, in the final judgment, who's in heaven or hell in that sense. We don't. But aren't we supposed to talk about behaviors and ways of living that clearly lead to hell? In other words, if everybody says, don't judge me, don't judge me, how could we ever preach the word that Jesus commanded us to, to preach unless we make his judgments known? As I always say, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what the judge said. My question to you, because I know you're our worship leader, you do so many things at the church to show compassion and love, you bring people under your wing. How can we show people that the loving kindness of God draws them to repentance, that he does love them, but he is saving them from something that they truly deserve? Almost like the way Romans says, the wrath of God is coming on them. It is just and it is deserved. And it's good that you know it because it's not something you want to deny, but it's something you want to appreciate that Jesus took for you. And it's real. Real people will go there. People that you may think are nice people, but they're still going there if they're not born again, as Jesus said. How do you put that together in this kind of generation, being our, uh, our token hipster? How do you do it, sir? Maybe we could get you a little slanted cap and a cup of coffee in your hand, a mochiato or something. But how would you describe this delicate process of saying the wrath of God is real, but so is the love of God? And we got to let you know about both. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a ton of scriptures that come to mind, you know, and I think Jesus makes it plain when he says, I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the father except through me. And then, you know, he talks about where is the Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, I think you, you, finding the way or, uh, to, to share this with somebody, um, 
you know, you really have to point them through scripture. And I think you let the word stand on its own. Um, Cause I, I think that the thing that we would want to do is try to convince them um, and go play off of feelings. And you really want to give them the truth found in God's word. And I, I look to second Thessalonians um, chapter one, and I can probably start in verse five, but if you go there, Second um, Thessalonians one, and I'll start in verse five. It says this: all this, uh, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are suffering. God is just; He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And it says in verse eight, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. And I think that when you, when you, bring someone to scripture and you show them everything um, that Jesus did. Someone needs to find that truth in Jesus. Um, and I think that's the most powerful thing. You, the scriptures come alive, um, you know, to someone. And when someone holds that, instead of trying to like win someone over by just saying all positive things and which are true in the Bible, that Jesus loves you. And, you know, I think there needs to be the, the healthy balance of understanding that God is just. And what does that mean? God's going to punish those, you know, on, on the day of judgment or when they meet him. And what does that judgment look like? You know? Um, and so I think that when you bring them to scripture and you allow the words of Jesus and the words of the Bible to speak to somebody, you, know, you can, you can definitely take them down the path of understanding that this is who our God is. And having the person reconcile with their own thoughts and probably sharing with you like, hey, I struggle with this. And then taking that person and praying and, and continuing to lift them up. So that's kind of some of the ways that I would um, I would probably lead somebody to that understanding if they struggle with that thought of understanding that God would send someone to hell. Wow, dude, that passage was awesome, dude. I was amen the whole time you were reading that. I know some of you have to go, so please feel free to go. I know we've already dismissed our meeting and let you guys know you can go. But uh, maybe Lauren could just come on maybe as our last word here. And if anybody has any questions about hell, go ahead and put it up. Obviously, this wasn't meant to be an extensive Bible study on it. It was just meant to be an observation from local pastors that just love you and care about you and kind of see the tone of social media and this generation as well outside in the workplace and different things. It just doesn't seem like people believe there's a hell. Uh, Janice wrote here that uh, she was saying, oh my gee, uh, and I'll say, oh my gosh there. Everyone always thinks that their loved ones automatically go to heaven, even though they didn't live a righteous life. And that's so true. If you want to hear the most amount of lies, go to a funeral. Everybody puts these people in heaven. Now, am I saying that we should go to a funeral and talk about how they're in hell? I don't think that's the place to do either one of those things. Like, I'm not here to decide whether in heaven or hell or not, but I'm certainly not here to lie, and I'm not here to promise them things that don't belong to them. What I'm supposed to do at a funeral is actually comfort the ones who are living and teach them that life is short, 
and that you're to put God first in all that you do. So don't ever feel like when you go to a funeral, you've got to put someone in hell or put them in heaven. That's not our job, but we're to preach the way of heaven and avoid hell. So that's a great point that you made. And I was always shocked by that, you know, and once again, we're supposed to tell what it looks like when people go to hell. So when I say this pastor is probably in hell, or I said that this behavior led him to hell, I'm not doing that in the sense of I know his last moments, but there's no way, talking about the one who took his own life, there's no way you can say Jesus is the Lord of my life and then take your life. There's nothing more opposite of the actual belief system of Jesus being the Lord of your life than taking your life. Like there's nothing more opposite than that. So that for, for sure is a denial of Jesus as your Lord, okay? If Jesus is your boss, you're not doing that. That's the last thing you're ever going to do. Um, Lauren, how would you summarize what we're offering as a church, and a lot of good churches out there are offering this balanced message. The Bible says Jesus came full of grace and truth, not 50% grace, 50% truth, but 100% of grace, full grace, grace upon grace, grace without end, and then truth without end, truth without any error, pure and undefiled. But how would you say it? I mean, that's obviously one way of saying it from a scripture. Any other scriptures or ways you would say it, Lauren? Yeah, I think everybody's kind of pointing to the same thing in this room right now, and it's just the scriptures. We don't take half of the Bible and forget the other half. We take the grace with the truth. We understand that God is gentle. He's loving. His kindness draws us to repentance. But those people actually have to repent. They have to repent of their sin to get into heaven. It's not just that they're going to go to heaven um, by good works or good looks. So as you were speaking and as Pastor Jared was speaking, the thing that came into my heart a lot was just, I think, Obviously, most Christians are not believing the Bible the way that they should. They're not believing it because if they were, we wouldn't see such a lack of evangelism in our churches today. We wouldn't see, see such a lack of uh, discipleship and all those things. I see the church getting lazy and not going on the streets. I think we've been on the streets for years since we became a church. And even before when you started the churches in New Orleans, that was something that you implemented from the beginning. Evangelism, get on the streets, preach the gospel. And there aren't other churches fighting us for corners to, to get the word out, to preach the gospel, to tell people the, the truth about heaven and hell. So I think a lack of evangelism and a discipleship in our churches is coming because of the lack of belief in our Christians today. They're not believing the full truth of heaven and hell. And another thing that was coming into my heart as you were talking was, um, you know, this whole time that we've been talking about suicide and the pastor that committed suicide, a lot of people were like, oh, you're very comforting to the family. And I feel like they almost take comfort like you have to lie to comfort and you do not have to lie to comfort people. Like you said, you go to a funeral, your job at that moment is not to put someone in heaven and hell. Your job at that moment is to tell the truth to the people that are mourning, to tell the truth to the people that are still living, that still have a chance to repent. So me comforting a family is not going up to them and just saying what they want to hear to tickle their ears and make them feel better. It's telling them the truth in love and, and gear, leading them the right way now. Dude, that is so true because that's what the Pope did, right? This young boy said, my father died an atheist, but he would take me to catechism class or have me baptized. 
and the Pope then puts them in heaven. You know, it's like, yes, that is, that's what I've been calling godless pity. It's false comfort. It literally is the reason why atheists make movies to make fun of us. Ricky Jarvis was in a movie. Look it up for me, Jared, and put it in the chat, please, about telling lies. And everybody had to tell the truth. And it was a culture where everybody tell the truth. And then somebody died or the grandma was going to die. And he wanted his grandmother to feel good before she died. And he said, Grandma, you're going to go to heaven, you know. And he, he told the first lie. But it was a good lie because he was telling grandma she was going to heaven. And then, like, this whole movie's built around, oh, you know things. We don't know. And he kept telling more and more lies. And he was getting really rich because they never lied. But they found out it was all untrue. But the idea is that's how they mock us as Christians is they say you just tell lies. I mean, you just make up stuff. Now, honestly, they say that about all of our beliefs. But if you were from the outside looking in, that was something that Christopher Hitchens used to make fun of uh, the Catholics all the time. It's like, you guys change your doctrines all the time. You know, how can I take you serious? That's the way the world looks as how in the world can we believe it's murder to kill someone? And then now it's not murder to kill yourself. And now because I'm talking to the family, I feel like I can't call it murder. So now I lie. It's just a humanistic way of preaching and teaching. And it was the invention of lying. Thank you with Ricky Jarvis. And uh, yeah, Janisa was really feeling what you were saying there, Lauren. I want to go to a scripture. And then if anybody else wants to share anything. But as you were saying that, Lauren, what reminded me of this, how you're saying about the evangelism is number 1648 says, Moses stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Um, so Aaron offered the incense and the atonement for them, and then he stood between the living and the dead, and Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the temple of meeting. The plague stopped. So, sorry, it wasn't. Uh, no, it was. So Aaron did as Moses said. Okay, so Aaron was the one actually literally standing there. Sometimes I always think of this story as Moses standing there, but it was, it was Aaron between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. I think you said it so perfectly, because we are in the place of always seeing the living and the dead. It's not that we're numb to it. I actually think it's the opposite. It's like we're, we're doctors who work in the emergency room. We know what death looks like. We know what life looks like, and we're just calling it as we see it, folks. We're just, we're not here to be mean. We're just calling it. And I think the problem is you've got too many pretty pastors behind pristine pulpits preaching nice things, and they're not pre preaching Christianity, they're preaching Niceanity. And you got to stand between the living and the dead. I mean, I remember witnessing the one guy in the corner of uh, Diversity and Long, and I, he was a gangbanger, tattoos all over his neck and face. And that night he took my number, called me up weeping and bawling. And he said, his dude got his, his head blown off and I was invited to the funeral. And I went to the funeral and another gang came and it got all crazy. And I had to run out with my wife. I mean, that's just how we live as pastors. Not saying every day is like that, but my neighbors are Hindu. Let, let me say this before anybody else comes on. My neighbors are Hindu. They're awesome. Are they going to heaven because they're awesome neighbors, guys? Like if they die, do I go to their funeral and tell their kids, your dad's in a better place. I mean, I don't know if people really think about this because that's what that that's what motivated the missionaries, by the way. And that's what motivates us. We think about it a lot. So anybody who just flippantly calls us, you're judgmental, you don't preach where we preach, you don't go where we go. And the ministries that I know who do what we do, they almost have the identical doctrine. 
It is true. Most of the people who are out in the community constantly have the same kind of black and white thing. And I think it's because they want to see people go to heaven and not hell. Okay. Um, somebody in chat who wants to come on next. Otherwise, uh, let me know if we got any questions, Lauren. Like I said, it wasn't meant to be an intensive Bible study. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, anybody else want to come on before we close it down? Janice is definitely hanging out. Jerry's awesome. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. I actually have another meeting after this. Don't feel sorry for me because I love being a pastor, but working with people who have a lot of tent making jobs or nine to fives has my meetings go sometimes a little bit late. So I got another meeting going on. Uh, good to see you too, Erica. Yeah, we just love people. And I heard somebody say this and, and uh, maybe we could put up the quote here. I think it was uh, D.L. Moody, or was it Charles Spurs that said, if they go to hell, if people be damned. Who said that? Spurgeon? Yeah, it was Spurgeon. People be damned. Spurgeon. Let me put this quote up before we go. This is how we should live. And Spurgeon was a great evangelist. If sinners be damned. That's a good start to a quote. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And that's what's happening with our missionaries around the world, isn't it? And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. Wouldn't, wouldn't we just do that for everybody? I mean, how many calls have you guys taken in the midnight hour? How many people have you guys counseled, pastors? So many of you have helped people in their deepest, darkest pits, right? And, and, there, and then there's still some that don't want it. I I've sadly I sadly now can say youth that I preach to have died in gang violence, have have uh, died of drug overdoses, and just so sad, or have uh, wrecked their life, shipwrecked their life because of all the things they did in their marriage or to themselves in relationships or in depression, but they didn't do it easily. We had our arms wrapped around them. I could keep you here all day telling you about a young man that I used to help, and he died of a drug overdose. And literally, I could say with my hands clean, uh, I'm free from the blood of that man. I did everything I could but he did not want to stop. So if they let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, exhortations or exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. We just love people, don't we? We don't want to see anybody uh, perish. Go ahead, Lauren, give me Janice's question because I must have missed it. Yeah, she wants to know what your neighbors say when you tell them about God. You know, I have different methodologies to talk to my neighbors. And so with my Indian neighbors, I'm building a relationship. And the times that I've talked to them about God, they bring it back to their own religion. One of the best relationships that I got into was a neighbor that had, had left. Uh, and we went back and forth. He actually gave me some of his meditation books. And I said, I would read them if you would read the Bible. I don't recommend that for everybody. But that's what I did. But uh, sadly, that's just what happens. You know, here, here is the book he gave me, Realizing Change, Vipassana, Vipassana, V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A, -S -S -A -A. this Vip, Vipassana, Vipassana. 
Vipassana. And now your pastor is humbled again. Just in case you ever think I'm a know-it-all, just have me pronounce a word for you. And literally on the back of the book, he was so proud to give this to me. It said a Christian priest said this about the book. And you could see that I had to go through it. So when you talk to people of other religions, uh, it is good to get to know them. Now, my other neighbors, they're Kazakhstani refugees, Muslim. I gave them my book and I came out with the Quran. Now, you got to understand, I'm doing a little bit more than the average bear would. But I come out with what they know and then I preach to them the gospel. If I was a lay member, I would learn a little bit about them. First of all, love people to love them. We're never using the love we have for them to get to them to tell the gospel. We love them to love them. I've talked to my Catholic neighbors about being born again, my Hindu neighbors, Muslim neighbors, going to the park. I meet it all in my backyard. We have a park, uh, Hoffman States Park. I get to meet everybody there. Number one, love them for, for Christ's sake. Number two, learn about them. Learn the connection to, that they have to the religion. Is it because of their family? Is it because of a conversion? Did they, did they convert to that religion? Is it just something they do for, for the sake of doing it, you know, the culture? So love them, learn something about them, and then present the gospel with your testimony. So this is the gospel. Here's how it changed my life. Here's the gospel. This is what it did in my life. And then as any good preacher, always let them know about heaven or hell. This is, and I always just go to John 3.3. 3. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And so literally at this desk right here, I talked to my neighbor about Vipassana, and I said to him at the, because he said, we're both going to Nirvana or, you know, reincarnation, doing better after this life, because he thinks I'm a great man, whatever. He sees how I raised my family, good reputation with him. Uh, but I looked at him and I said, thank you for those wonderful compliments. But you have to understand, I do not take credit for this. Jesus saved me. And I want you to understand this clearly after our discussion time. If you are not born again, according to the Jesus of the Bible, do you understand where you will go? And I usually ask those questions so they can hear the word back as they say it out of their own mouth. And they go, yeah, you're saying I would go to hell. And then I even clarify. I go, I'm not saying you're going to hell. Who says you will perish? Who said that? And then they said, Jesus said that. And I go, then friend, know that I love you. We'll have many more conversations, but that's, that's basically how I do it. So get to know and love them, learn about their connection to the religion, share the gospel and share your testimony within it and always bring it down to what Jesus did. I mean, John three sixteen literally says it all. You believe in him, you have eternal life. You don't perish. You don't believe in him, you perish. You stand condemned already. Anything else? And uh, maybe ask if that helped her. Janice, if that was good for you. Yeah, and then there's one more question. Oh, I see it now. Erica, right? Yes. Do you see it? Do you want me to read it or you see it? I did see it, but read it to me, please, because it's hard okay. to get to it all. She says, I have a question. So when you go to a funeral, when and how do you start speaking truth? Do you wait for them to say something false or do you wait for them to ask you? I'm asking because I have been at my family's funerals and I hear them say they're in a better place. I've always asked myself, how do they actually know that? Some of my family has passed with unforgiveness in their heart and not repentant or with religious beliefs. Such a great question, Erica. Wow. Very clear and cogent at 1020. I hope I can stay as clear and cogent at 1020. But that is deep, man. We got to get on late with these folks, man. They're coming out deep right now. And I don't drink coffee. But those who know me, I'm 
decaffeinated. You probably would thank God for that. You don't want to see me on caffeine, right? So believe it or not, I am, I am very similar to how Paul is described in the Bible, not as saying that I'm at, at all as gifted as Paul, who wrote inspired scripture. I'm just saying as Paul's personality, he said, in my letters, you see me very weighty, very strong and heavy handed. But in person, you notice that I'm very loving and, and caring, like almost like a nurturing mother. He even uses that language, nursing. I'm nursing you. I feel I'm very much the same way. When I'm in a funeral setting, I don't want to take the ex, I don't want to exploit the person that has passed to now talk about judgment unless I have permission from the family. So that's me as a pastor if I'm coming to preach. If they say, Pastor, bring down the house, preach the gospel, I'm going there because I'm a guest. If I don't know a family and I've just been invited, I'm just going to preach the gospel and they can figure out who goes there and who doesn't. Now, as I was with my sister, when I'm a family member, which by the way, that was the first funeral that I did was for my sister who died drinking and driving. You better believe I'm talking to my family about heaven or hell because it's my family. I have every right to be there as they do. It's my sister. It's my cousin. It's whoever, you know, so take it or leave it. Now, having said that, you have to decide as the Lord leads, what's the most appropriate. I don't always preach the same way. Now, that doesn't mean I changed my preaching. That just doesn't mean I, that means I don't preach the same way. I don't always say the same exact things. So, if, you know, my sister, when she died drinking and driving, that hit me so hard. I was so angry at the devil. You weren't getting within five feet of me without hearing about heaven or hell. That, that was plain and simple. My grandmother's funeral good Catholic. My dad says he led her to the Lord on her deathbed and throughout her life, she was sympathetic towards Jesus. I'm going to pick and choose those discussions. For me, I'm just going to, once again, I'm going to go back to the born again thing, but that's where I can only give advice to search what the word says and the spirit at that time. You know, you may get a word that's different than mine, but there's not a, there's not a, let's say it this way. There's not a one answer that fits, you know, a shoe that fits all, whatever, one size fits all. Because there are times where I've left a funeral. I said, well, I wish I would have said more. There's probably one that I think Adam can remember where I probably said too much. I, I went to a funeral and there was just, they didn't, they didn't want me there. I think like one family member wanted me to preach their form. So I think I pushed push the gospel in hell a lot more than I normally would have, but that might've just been my own insecurity. Just do what the Lord says. <laughs> Lord, what would you do? Let's ask Lauren. What would you do at a family member? These are the ones you need to ask because I'm complicated when it comes to my, my emotions, Erica, because I'm always on the edge of something. Like I just went and got my haircut today. Something went wrong. I complained. I got a free haircut. Now I'm wondering if I was too intense. Like, let's just put it this way. The entire store was involved in my conversation. So yeah, I'm learning how to find the balance, but I, I'm learning there's ways, there's, there's, there's seasons. Go ahead, Lauren, help me out here. Yeah, I think um, it definitely depends on the situation. I mean, if it's a family member, I probably still would do a service with grieving, just talking about Jesus, talking about the peace of God that can uh, help people's hearts. But in private conversation, 
I would tell the truth. I probably wouldn't go so hard um, at the crying people. <laughs> but then again, it's like you have to be led by the spirit if you're at a funeral where it's like gun violence or, you know, like gangbangers, something that's like, oh, uh, like you could preach more direct and more hardcore towards what the situation is. But I would probably take the softer approach and uh, talk about God's peace and love and uh, that that those that are still alive still have a chance to repent and all of those great things and then talk about the person's life. And then, um, like I said, in private conversation, definitely be able to hit on those things. And especially if I'm asked. Yeah. Cause I was just thinking, you know what? The devil uses offense to get people to close their ears to the gospel. I try to move around people's offense. You know, that's what the Bible says. You got to be as shrewd as a serpent, as wise as a serpent, as harmless as a dove. You know, the devil would love for you to come in with guns blazing and then everybody kicks you out and everything. You know, I like to not saying you can't get kicked out for the right reasons, but I like to maneuver around their surface level of fence. You know, like you got to be smarter than them when it comes to how they're going to behave. Like if you know they don't want to hear about heaven or hell at that time, don't talk to them. Find the person that's open to it and then wait to discuss with them at another time. Charles Finney talks about not preaching the gospel when people are distracted with emotion, whether it's, you know, it's like you trying to preach to somebody at a Cubs game in the World Series. Like, hey, man, let me tell you about Jesus. You can. God can lead you to do that. But like a Cubs fan, is, their mind is so driven towards that, you know, and it's the same thing. Like this person's mind is all on this. And if you insert it there, I'm not saying you're going to, you should feel condemned or guilty because I don't believe we should walk on eggshells with the gospel, but just throwing it out there. Like the Bible says, we're getting some wisdom as we're talking through this. I'm sensing it right now. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't throw it out to them. If there's not any possibility of them even receiving it, but being offended by it, do it in such a way that if they get offended, you can, you can at least say with a clear conscience, I thought you would want to know the truth, right? There we go. Lauren, you helped me find that wisdom, at least to what makes sense to me. Because, right, the Bible says, don't throw these things to the swine. So if they're, if they're already convinced in their mind and you try to say, hey, but how do you, how does somebody get to heaven? That, that might just be an opening question. And then you can notice they're going to start arguing with you, being obscene with you. You're going to tell me grandma's in hell. You're going to tell me, okay, fine. Let's not talk about that. I'm not going to push this to the point where now I can't go talk to 10 other people here who might want to hear it. So. Good question. Good question. Yeah. Anything else before we go? I think Monica, we're getting hit with a lot of questions right now. So feel free staff. If you have to go, Lauren, stay with me. Joe B's hanging on. Cause we got our meeting after this, but uh, go ahead and th throw me out a couple more questions and then we'll end it at uh, 10 30 as, as much as we can guys. So put those last questions up and I'll just go through them quick. So I'll just say what Janice said first, and then I'll say Monica's question. So Janice just said, my best friend died. It hurt me to my core, but I knew he was a gang member, member and having sex outside of marriage. I already knew that where he ended up. He always told me he was going to change. Um, so he got shot in the head while sitting on the porch. He was a good person, but at the end of the day, he was still sinning. Amen. All right. So Monica's question is, if you are on your deathbed and you confess your sins and repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you have lived a sinful life, will you still be saved? Yes, because that's the thief on the cross. That's God's forgiveness. Now, some people who say, and here's the thing that comes real quick after this, is how are you going to say, 
if Hitler does that, he goes to heaven. But uh, Gandhi, who believed in a false god, but was moral his whole life, quote unquote moral, he now goes to hell. Because this is what people are not understanding. One sin is worth damnation. One sin is worth damnation. And Jesus is the only one out of that. So we're not saying that Hitler deserves it. We're saying that Hitler put his trust in the only lifeboat that gets us out. Now, he won't have many rewards, but he'll be able to go to heaven. The thief on the cross gets to go to heaven. Now, why will Gandhi go to hell? Because he trusted in his own works up until the very end. He thought he didn't need Jesus. So the person who thinks they need Jesus, even after a life of wickedness, receives heaven because Jesus is the center of the belief. It's not how bad they were. It's Jesus is the center. And then I show people this all the time, which they never think about. Remember, Adam and Eve did not do any of the big sins, which is no really big or little sin, right? They just ate an apple or ate a fruit, and they were kicked out. One disobedience brought damnation. So I say to people, how many times on average do you think you sin a day? They'll say, well, I probably sin maybe two or three times. Maybe tell a lie, lust after somebody I'm not married to, take the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, so you sin three times a day, right? Okay. How many years have you known what a sin is? probably since you've been about 12. Let's just say 12, right? Now you live to 80 years old. Let's just say you live to 82 years old to make it an even 70. Let's take three times 365 days times 70 years of living. This is how many sins you have committed against the God who kicked out Adam and Eve for one sin. So now you understand anyone in God's court is already a repeat offender and deserving of death. And so we have to come to Christ. Now, somebody says here next, what about them just planning this out to do this? Well, don't you think God understands their heart? Don't you think God's smarter than a drug dealer? You couldn't manipulate a drug dealer like that. Like I'm going to use up all his drugs and then go move out of town. Like, dude, he's going to catch you. He's going to find out. God knows your heart, folks. If he knows your confession of faith is just a get out of jail card, that's not making Jesus the Lord of your life. All of us who have been saved, whether it's the most wickedest man, and let's look at the thief on the cross as kind of that wicked man, or whether it's my daughter at eight years old really coming to faith, all of us have to, to receive true salvation mean it, open our heart up and say, you're the Lord of my life. And I want you. And I'm sorry for what I've ever done against you. And I just only want to live for you. That's only what I want. So it's like the thief on the cross is saying, if you give me a thousand more years, I would live for you, Jesus. And Jesus knows that person's heart. So thank you guys so much. And all those who have lost people like me, my sister and people in the church and others who you're pretty sure they're in hell. Guess what? Jesus loves them more than you do. And Jesus loves you too, and he wants to give you peace. So there's nothing noble about trying to bring them to heaven when Jesus, who loves them, already said they can't go there. And there's nothing uh, godly and being pitiful over it. Just say to the Lord of heaven and earth, you have given and you have taken away. You have judged righteously, and we trust you. 
and I want to be with you. And I've made that decision, and I'm going to be with you. That's why Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, and your children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be Jesus's disciple putting any kind of a relationship above the relationship uh, that, that's, that he's given you. And I just want to end with that. Hate your mother, your father, all of this. Does that mean Jesus is saying we can't love people? No. He's just saying... I can't be so offended or bothered by what my family does that I don't go to heaven. You know, like I've heard people say this. Well, if my mom's not in heaven, I'm going to hell with her. What? Well, you don't respect and honor your creator then. Jesus said clearly, Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me, does not hate father, mother, wife, and children. That, that, you can't get any closer than these relationships, right? I mean, come on. Father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And he says it so clear right here, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then in another place, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? So if you say, I'm, you know, I'd rather go to hell because everybody else I know is going to be there. My friend, the moment you're there, you're going to find out you're alone and it wasn't worth it. But Jesus was the one who suffered and died for you. Jesus was the one who paid the price for you. That's why we talk to our families about coming to heaven with us, not out of manipulation. You know, sometimes people say, don't you want to come to heaven and be with me, Dito? Don't you want to come? See, that's like you're manipulating them. If they don't want to come for Jesus, they're not really going to come for you then either, okay? Jesus is the star of the show of heaven, right? So we should be there for Jesus. Lauren, would you say the last words and then pray for us, please? And make sure you thank everybody if I forgot to. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all for watching and joining us. We didn't know that a 10 o'clock or a 930 live feed would get so much feedback, but it's pretty awesome that you guys are all here. Um, yeah, I just think that we have to keep on preaching the truth in love and hopefully the blinders are turned off and I mean, they fall off of people's eyes and they're able to see the truth about hell and heaven and that there's a way to get to heaven. That is the most important thing. God gives us a way out and people don't have to go to hell. So it takes us preaching the gospel and preaching the truth to them in love. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word that is true, that speaks to the hearts of men. And we pray, God, that uh, Christians would start to take this, the serious God, that they would be able to see that heaven is real, that you talked about heaven more in the word than, uh, talked about hell more in the word than you did about heaven. And I pray God that they would start to take it serious and they would get an urgency in your, their spirit father to, to preach the gospel in love and preach the truth, even if it hurts people's feelings sometimes. And we just pray for every person on the life feed, God, that you would bless them, that we would have a good night, God, and that uh, they would always serve you and love you and that they would speak the truth in love always. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Have a great night. Be blessed. <laughs>